0: back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene. I am really excited to be joined today by Dr. Mark Cannon. He is an incredible pediatric dentist, lecturer, instructor, and researcher. He received his doctorate of dental surgery from the University of Nebraska and then attended Northwestern University for his master's of pediatric dentistry. After his residency, Dr. Cannon was asked to stay on as a faculty member of Northwestern University Dental School. He has kept up his teaching and is now a professor of the Feinberg School of Medicine, Department of Otolaryngology. Otolaryng- um, he's in the Division of Dentistry and is the Research Coordinator for the Pediatric Dental Program at the Ann and Robert Lur- Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Dr. Cannon has been very involved in research for many years, developing many new products and techniques for dentistry and and obtaining patient, or patents. His passion for education extends well beyond the university walls as he has presented at countless pediatric and dental organizations and conferences around the world. Dr. Cannon has been involved in microbiome and homogen- genome research, especially with the use of polyols to produce positive biofilm changes. The research has also concentrated on the epigenetic effect of microbiome shifts, the end products of bacterial metabolism, and the neurologic consequences of the microbiome shifts, such as with autism spectrum disorder. His research has been published in multiple medical, dental, and scientific journals. I honestly cannot think of anyone better suited to help educate us hygienists on the importance of working toward achieving a healthy oral and gut microbiome, and specifically some guidance on how to do so, So welcome, Dr. Cannon. We are so excited to have you with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much. Uh, It's quite an honor to be on your podcast. And I have to say, Ashley, that one of my key things in life is I'm, I'm a grandfather and I just had another grandchild last night
0: oh my gosh congratulations welcome to
1: the world natalie natalie one day you'll listen to this podcast i'm sure and then uh, i have another one coming in another couple weeks so i'll soon have five grandkids that's that's my biggest pride and joy are the kids i have five kids i'm very very proud of who've done a lot in their lives i'm very proud of them And my biggest professional honor, I'm now currently president of AOSH, the American Academy for Oral and Systemic Health, president of the board. And my other biggest, by far, the biggest honor I have has been to be invited by the Nobel Committee to the Nobel Forum and then be part of the Nobel um, uh, Committee on Medicine and Physiology Assembly. And I was part of the 100 on the Assembly in 2017 which is very appropriate to this discussion because in the 2017 assembly, we coined the term gateway microbiome for the oral microbiome and also for the nasal microbiome because they are very important gateways. They moderate everything. They help with the digestion of food. They prevent the entry of pathogens. They control your immune response. They are the reason why we get many of our nutrients. We can't process a lot of our food without the proper oral microbiome. But actually makes the most important person in any any dental office is the hygienist. You know, I've said that many times. Mm -hmm. When you have a patient-centric office, the most important person is the dental hygienist because the dental hygienist Mm -hmm. has the time to educate, and while you're scaling, please don't talk about politics.
0: And
1: stay away from diets, counseling. When you like, one of my favorite people, hygienist, she would always start talking about all her dessert recipes and want to give everyone all her dessert recipes, which is like not what we want to be doing. Right, right. (laughs) We want to be telling people about what they can do to make themselves healthier. Because you know this and I know this. We have a crisis in this country. We do. do. Our average lifespan went down again in the United States. And Dr. Collins when asked about this, and he's the head of the FDA said, the reason is misinformation on the internet. You should read his interview on that.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Nothing to do with diet. Lack of exercise, the fact that our nutrition is so bad because our food quality is so bad, as you just heard, 60% of adults eat processed foods, 70%, well, actually 60% of their diet is processed. And with children, 70% of their food is processed. This destroys the quality of the food and encourages the growth of the pathogens with all the added sugars. Didn't mention that, didn't mention fentanyl with a 1300% increase of deaths, didn't mention crime and the increase in deaths from crime and suicides going up to record levels. It was the internet, darn that internet. Don't you wish we could just do without it? Come on everyone, what is it good for anyway? (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, understand. You have to know me. I'm very, very sarcastic about yes, that.
0: And that's one because thing I love about you. You know so much and you deliver it in such a fun way. So yes. I love that.
1: Well, I have to be sarcastic because they, uh, you, they ignore the real problems, don't they? They ignore the root cause. And the root cause to all of our problems is dysbiosis.
0: Yes, we go to
1: a lot of schools to teach. I just lectured at uh, a university and to the faculty uh, last weekend, last Friday, and I always lecture to them, "What is the root cause of oral disease?" And there's one word: dysbiosis. It's a dysbiosis. We don't get cavities. We don't have cariogenic bacteria. Germ-free animals don't get decay, and they don't get periodontal disease right it's impossible you have to have the bad bacteria to do that but what creates the bad bacteria is the lack of the good guys
0: right well and that the- you know i've been thinking and i've been talking to my patients lately because i think and i i think you probably agree with me that for a long time dentistry has really been focused on the kill shot and I use the example of, you know, mouthwash these days, these, these over-the-counter mouthwashes we're, we're seeing now in, in the literature is showing these, the research is showing that really they're, they're kind of weapons of mass microbial destruction because they operate in a very undiscriminating manner and they're decimating both the harmful and the beneficial bacteria alike. And, you know, we've gotten really focused on eliminating the bad bugs, whether it's strep mutans to address decay or PG or AA, you know, or the rest of the red complex to arrest perio or candida albicans to eliminate thrush. We have spent a lot of time in dentistry, a lot of time and energy really eradicating the bad players, but we really haven't spent much time thinking through what true health looks like when it comes to creating that healthy microbiome community you know, full of those commensals. And I just want to say, because, um, you know, I used that word the other day and I had somebody say, what is that commensal? So I wanted to define that before we really got into it. But commensals are organisms that live in close association with one, um, with another organism of a different species, benefiting from it without harming it. Commensals can obtain food, shelter, or support from the host species.
1: Now, it's and I to remember, It's very important to remember on this. With commensals, it means eating at the table with you. Yes. They're at our table. They survive because we survive. Yes. If we die, our commensals die. They actually have a vested interest in us. And the example you've heard me use a thousand times is we're a cruise ship. We are a cruise ship. And on our cruise ship, we have eating all these passengers who are commensals. They're just there having fun. They're partying. They're dancing. They're swimming in us. They're using us as a water slide, they're having so much fun, and then we have the probiotics, which are our crew, because the crew feeds us, and it feeds the commensals. the crew helps process and gives us nutrients, and the crew keeps us on the right direction, the crew keeps us healthy, which are the probiotics, and once in a while, we get a pirate, and the pirate are those pathogens, they want to take over the command of the ship, right, they want to take over everything, and and rule everything. So I'm sorry to interrupt.
0: No, you're good. But exactly. I think
1: that, that that's the example I absolutely love. Another yes. example I always tell people is that a probiotic is the right bacteria in the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah, and I a love it.
1: pathogen is the wrong bacteria in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because you can take a probiotic bacteria and inject it in the brain and give it encephalitis. It's not supposed to be there. So always remember when you read the literature, you'll have people mistake probiotics for pathogens, commensals for pathogens, because if you put a good bug in the wrong place at the wrong time, you can have a bad result. Please never forget that reading the literature that has caused more issues. Uh, Again, I'm sorry.
0: No, you're you're great. I was going to say I recently was listening to a different podcast, and uh, the guest was Dr. David Perlmutter, and he's a neurologist, brain health specialist. Um, He's written several books about brain health and the influence of the gut microbiome. And I thought this was so interesting. He was saying that 99% of genetic material in our bodies is bacterial we are far more numerically involved with our bacterial genetic material than we are with our own human DNA. And that our gut bacteria can influence the expression of our own DNA to whether we experience health versus disease. And so I know I've always said this before that I feel like it is we are very alienistic when we really think about it. Um, But the, uh, the reality is that is our reality is we are just teaming with these different microbes. Um, And it's something that's really important to understand. And, you know, like I said, I think we've mistakenly gotten hyper-focused on wiping out the bad bugs without giving much thought to what our antimicrobials may be doing to the good bacteria that we need or how to repopulate them. And so can you speak to that concept?
1: Absolutely. We evolve with our commensals. As we evolved over millions of years with many of these good bacteria, our bodies gave up a lot of the functions that we normally would have to those bacteria. For instance, the gluten metabolizing bacteria, the famous rothia genus, first discovered in 2011 by the researchers from Foresight, where they break down gluten for us. If you kill off those bacteria, you're going to have gluten sensitivity. And there's been a lot of wonderful publications on that. The famous Camonero publication in the in the British Journal of Nutrition, first looking at first degree relatives, the guy who could eat pizza and drink beer, but his sister could not because she's missing the bacteria that break down your gluten for you. And you probably have read some of the research we did on that. We found, we researched and found that a lot of our over-the-counter products were killing The Rothia, and I have to tell you, some of the manufacturers were there at our presentations, taking a lot of notes because they know they're creating issues with gluten sensitivity, which increases a lot of immune reactions to the 16, 17, and 33 mer peptides, really a crazy, a bunch of things. But we have to remember, there's some very important studies have just come out, like within the last few months, one showing that kids in the United States being born today, the infants, are missing about 20% of their microbiome. Now they're missing about 20% of this very important microbiome that the kids in Africa still have, Hadza tribes are looking at in this case, because those bacteria have been killed off in the mothers. So they're not being passed on to the child. But if you look at the Burkina Fossil Study, published in Proceeding National Academy of Sciences, If you look at that study, it's way more than 20%. We're missing all of our xylenobactors and a lot of our prevotellas that break down a lot of our cellulose and xylans that we need to break down. So we don't get the energy we should from the foods we eat because we used to break down all these starches and fibers, which makes us eat foods that are loaded with more calories or more rapidly available, which pushes us more toward pre-diabetes and obesity. So by changing our microbiome, we've created a health issue where one out of three adults are now pre-diabetic in the United States. What are we thinking of? Because we can absolutely change this. Sadly, it's going to be a little bit difficult because a lot of those good bacteria being destroyed, like the bifidobacterium infantis and so on, that not showing up in the child anymore, uh, we have to restore it to all, especially the mothers. I, you know, I'm really big in the office of, oh, you didn't mention I've been in private practice for 42 years in the same location. And I had just retired. Congratulations. Uh, and I have seen, you know, 100, I, I would say if I saw 100,000 children, at least that would have to at least be true, considering I would have often 18,000 kids in the practice at one time. And we always worked, especially the last few years, uh, someone would come in, she'd have her three year old be working with a three year old. I noticed, oh, you're, you're expecting. Oh, congratulations. By the way, here's a probiotic to take for prenatal care. We'd give them samples. Here's some xylitol to use. Here's some xylitol gum. We'd give them samples, get them started, give them little brochures, and work very strongly to establish the normal microbiome in the mother. I have to tell you, it takes what? A minute? <laughs> <laughs> you can afford a minute in your day per patient to do that. If I can do that in a very busy pediatric practice, then anyone can do it. But going back to those bacteria, there were so many beneficial bacteria we cannot kill. We have to be very careful. The OTC mouth rinses you're talking about, when they first came out, they often bragged about how many strep they would kill. They'll brag about killing strep salivarius. Oh my God, no, even back then, we knew strep salivarius is a very important probiotic. Strep salivarius is so very important. It produces, the bacteria produce salivaricins. That kills strep throat. It kills strep pyogenes. It prevents ear infections and strep throat. And later on, psoriatic arthritis. But like I have bad psoriatic arthritis. I wish my strep salivarius hadn't been killed when I was a child. So, my dear God, people, watch the OTCs. And what else? What does the American Heart Association say? Don't use them. The American Heart Association, because they kill the Neisseria genus. Neisseria mucosa is a very important bacteria that Reduces nitrates to nitrites that later become nitric oxide. How important is nitric oxide? Crucial. Blood is crucial, right? Yes. It's crucial. When the Nobel Prize was given on on nitric oxide in 1998, uh, two of the recipients, by the way, and not Louis Ignaro, but Robert uh, Fershgott and Farad Murad, Uh, Both Murad and Fershgott were actually associated with Northwestern University Medical School. In fact, Fershgott taught there for 10 years in cell biology. Uh, And they actually won an award first at Northwestern in 1997 before they got the Nobel Prize in 1998. But the work on strep salivarius was done by Dr. Stan Shulman at Children's Hospital. My institution, back like 20 some odd years ago, and was, he's fully aware of all the research and everything. And so we always recommended the strep salivary probiotics to help people have a much healthier life, strep throat, ear infections, and it reduces strep mutants, and it reduces the perinoneal pathogens. And the Neisseria, without nitric oxide, what are the side effects? Memory loss, cardiac events, high blood pressure.
0: blood pressure, insulin
1: resistance. Yeah. yeah. And, oh yes, absolutely. Insulin resistance and pre-diabetes, a very famous study, the soul study, Al San Juan, which was a longitudinal study um, on overweight individuals and the San Juan overweight adult longitudinal study called the SOLs, And they followed these individuals for years. And they found that people that use these O2C mouthwashes. Or going into pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, and gaining weight because they're killing their nitrate-reducing bacteria. And by the way, that increases your chance of periodontal disease, increase LDLs, increase LDLs. Oh my God, no! More cardiac events, and last thing but not least, erectile dysfunction.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, I feel like there's so much coming to light. And I know this is, this has been the light for you for a long time because of your, your life's work. Um, But for a lot of the the dental population, I feel like this is kind of a, a new light coming here about the relationship between the gut microbiome and the oral microbiome. Can you help us understand this relationship and why we've got to consider gut health when we are trying to achieve oral health?
1: And be, just before we jump into that, the one yeah. thing I wanted to mention on those Neisseria again is just very recently published last few months was another great study following pregnancy. As you know, one of the things I'm always talking about is health during pregnancy. And you can actually predict pregnancy outcomes by looking at the level of the Neisseria bacteria in the mouth and the levels of nitric oxide. If you're very low, You tend to have babies with low birth rate. There tends to be premature birth. Um, You're more inclined to have gestational uh, diabetes and actually more inclined to have preeclampsia. So please, when you look at women coming in who are of childbearing age, talk to them about all this, get them tested, Do, do the salivary testing, make sure that you're on board. And also check one last crucial thing before we go on to the gut, airway. Because of all the publications, again, with women who have sleep apnea during pregnancy, you have those who get it during pregnancy, you have those who have chronically have it. If you look at the studies, again, the incidence of sleep apnea during pregnancy can affect everything, gestational, diabetes again, placental adhesions low birth weight and for chronic snores, cesarean delivery. So please look at that. And and it's such a beautiful, easy time to treat too during pregnancy to just make an oral appliance for airway. And it's a short term appliance. It just has to be in there for a few months. And if the kit is exposed to baby, if they have fetal intermittent hypoxia, it can affect their learning. Studies have shown that in animals, animal studies, animal models, has shown that it can affect the brain development, maybe explaining why I had some special needs kids in my practice, learning disabilities, uh, sensory issues. I mean, I just had so many kids who had learning disabilities and um, developmental delays. And it's, it could very well be because often they would say they had no reason, no reason this occurred could have been hypoxia during pregnancy. No one's been checking. Oh my God, this tears me apart. I think this is such a blatant thing. That, that's why I had to bring that up.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Some
1: one of the things we have to do so be sure uh, women of childbearing age and a lot of the women uh, who are hygienists, Um, you know, I've only actually in my career, I've only had one male, maybe actually two, two male hygienists, <laughs> but We have to be very cognizant of the fact that this could be something that is going on even within our own uh, employee population. Going on, I'm sorry.
0: Ask you because I know you said you recommend you have recommended to your pregnant mothers. Um, a probiotic. What do you recommend for them? What which? Probiotic? Well, there's actually
1: ones for uh, prenatal, which we actually it's a BioGaia one. Okay. If you contact BioGaia, they'll actually give it to you. BioGaia was sending tons of samples. And that's B-I-O-G-I no G-A-I-A no G. I A I. No, it's G I A I, right? <laughs> Bio-Gaia. <laughs> in, in Europe, they call it Biogaia. So, anyway, but here we call it Biogaia. And so it's G I A I. So, um, anyway, just I said that wrong again. It ends in the A. G A I A. There
0: you
1: go. There you go. There you go. And so very important just to get those samples and also during uh for breastfeeding there's breast uh, this called lactea for breastfeeding and we would give out the samples of that for breastfeeding which i think is very very important uh giving out samples is important but yeah the oral microbiome again is a gateway it sets up the gut microbiome and the human microbiome project showed the close connection between the oral microbiome and the gut microbiome. So no one doubts that. It's heavily published in journals like the Immunology and others, that when you look at, in fact, in the gastroenterology ones, if you look at the oral microbiome, then look at the incidence of let's say Crohn's disease or IBD, you can often diagnose Crohn's by looking in the mouth and looking for the key thing I always mention, cobblestone gingiva. Look for the cobblestones. When you see these little bumps coming out, that's not stippling. Stippling goes in. The bumps coming out is cobblestoning. And that is porphyromonas gingivalis, already well-established within the tissue. And once it goes intracellular, it does that. Again, these are IBPs. Now, these IBPs, that do get into the gut. They do the same thing. A good example is Porphyromonas gingivalis (Pg). You know the Porphyromonas gingivalis FIM-A type two, type four. They have these fim attachments that allow them to attach to the cell and penetrate into the cell. Once it is inside the epithelial cell or the endothelial cell, it lives there, forms these little phagolysosomes, populates like a parasite within the cell. They affect the cell epigenetically. They break down the tight junctions. They order the tight junctions to open. And at that time, then all of a sudden you have a flood of other bacteria, including a lot of commensals will come in. And the body says, you're not supposed to be there. And next thing you know, you have autoimmune disease, right? And this gives you systemic disease everywhere throughout the body. And so absolutely, we have to control the gateway microbiome. We're in charge, going back like, 12, 15 years ago, I used to have a picture of knights. I mean, it was a slide, but this photograph of knights defending the castle gate. Don't let the barbarians take the gate, you know. And, and I think people thought I was being very dramatic, but not anymore. Because, right, the research shows that was all completely, totally correct. Now, we swallow a thousand times a day. And during all that swallowing, the swallow about a liter of saliva, and since we have 20 billion bacteria in the mouth, we end up swallowing about a total of 100 billion a day. So you can see where, if you were swallowing a lot of pathogens, most pathogens are being given a direct path. Sadly, a lot of them survive the stomach because they're used to a very acidic environment like strep mutants, you know, porphyrinus, They actually like an acidic environment. Right. They look at the stomach acid and they can't laugh at it and go, they <laughs> thumb <laughs> their nose at the stomach acid and they get down into the small intestine, they can cause reactivity. In fact, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, which then messes you all up because then you become lactose intolerant, right? Because that shuts down that what? MCM6 gene. So you don't have that functioning, So you don't produce any lactase anymore. I mean, it, it, it's really a funny, sad comedy. It's almost Shakespearean with how all this transpires because... You have the good bacteria, which you need to keep, but sadly they become collateral damage because of what we do. Um, Years ago, I used to show the slide. I haven't in a long time, but it's a beautiful French town. Uh, The picture was taken like in the late 1930s. And then I show a picture from 1944 after it was completely destroyed in World War II. And our army was advancing through France toward Germany, and the Germans fought a little defensive action, but then they pulled all their troops out and left a few snipers behind. But we didn't realize that the American army so they ordered in an airstrike, and a bunch of B-17s flew overhead and completely destroyed the town, in fact killed a lot of civilians, all collateral damage. We're doing that every day in our practices. We're destroying these beautiful towns and killing a lot of innocent and it's the only way of looking at it. Because once you look at that, that way, then you know not to do this. Now, once you set up this dysbiosis in the gut, everything goes bad, right?
0: Yes. You so suddenly that, have that an that increase.
1: Yeah. You have an increase in cancer. Colorectal cancer, especially, will increase. If you use a bacterium nucleatum with a fat A mutation, colorectal cancer that Fusobacterium nucleum with a fat aid mutation should not be there. They're actually bacteria to pre- prevent it. A lot of the bifobacteria, they're not there to prevent it. Porphyromonas gingivalis. And what big news on that? Pancreatic cancer, along with some um, lesseia genus fungus. That's again, an oral one that got down into the pancreas. Bad news. Candidate albicans associated with multiple other cancers. Uh, Candida alpagans actually produces a lot of acetaldehyde at a level that's oncogenic and produces cancers. So, you know, everything's changed since, what was it, March, 2020? I think it was March, or maybe it was May, 2020, published in Science, Deborah Nedgman study with over 50 other researchers showing that what drives cancer are often bacteria that changed everything, that all cancers have specific microbiomes. Now, since then, there's been a ton of articles out there, but you know how long that took for that to make an effect? You're not gonna believe this, a hundred years. The first study came out with microbiologists saying, hey, every cancer we look at has specific microbiomes. It came out in 1920. The medicine said they were all wrong, Because cancers were, as they taught in medical school, sterile. Just like babies were sterile. You know, urine was sterile. All that stuff was sterile. We now know that that's not true at all. So they finally had to accept the fact that those tumors are loaded with bacteria. But again, most of those bacteria are intracellular. So they don't culture well. Forget culturing. Culturing means nothing for a lot of these IBPs. They live inside the cell. So they cause all sorts of effects, autoimmune diseases, they associate with Parkinson's disease, so many things. And of course, autism, which we've talked about before has been autism. So we have to go back to all that great research, like stuff done by Kiersey Argard from Baylor's fetal maternal research, where she went to Malawi and looked over 8,000 women who were pregnant, put half of them on xylitol gum, the other half did not get the gum, followed the pregnancies, followed them for periodontal disease, followed them for pregnancy outcomes. And of course there was a big change in the population, much less periodontal disease with the ones are on the xylitol gum. And the ones with the xylodol gums had uh, uh, fewer problems with low birth weight babies, fewer preterm babies, a trend toward fewer miscarriages, but the babies were healthier and ate better. Isn't it time that we start doing this stuff for public health in the United States?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell me, because I'm thinking about it, you know, I know there's a bi-directional relationship. Obviously, we know that if we have a you know, an oral biome that's in dysbiosis, that's going to contribute to a gut biome in dysbiosis. And I I tell my patients, you know, this is just the beginning of the tube. It's one solid tube. So it's feeding down in. But from a bidirectional standpoint, if we have a leaky gut, if we have a gut in dysbiosis, that impacts our immune system and our ability to heal when we are treating oral infection.
1: In fact, with healing, there are certain lactobacilli you need to have. That's been shown in studies, too, that healing after periodontal surgery is affected by the microbiome. And if you're missing certain bacteria, you don't heal as well. And you should tell that to the periodontist. Say before you do that surgery, you got to make sure they actually have these lactobacilli they're supposed to have. They're special species like lactobacillus plantarum actually helps with the healing post-surgery, even post-scaling and root planing. And so that's why you find other probiotics like Prolax, and they're available in Europe where they actually recommend after scaling root plane, you put the patient on it so they have better healing. Uh, it kind of sets me back a lot, you know, as a very patriotic American to see us so far behind these other countries, because I do a lot of international travel. I go to the international probiotic meetings. I see what they're doing in Italy, and Germany, and what they're doing for diet in the nursing homes in Europe, how they're converting a lot of them to healthy diets to make the people healthier and how neurologically they get much better. And a lot of symptoms go away. I go like, oh my God, why don't we do that here? We have a lot more money to spend, but we keep spending it on intervention and surgery and not in prevention of disease. Right. So we can heal the gut. There's a new, uh, prebiotic that's in patenting process right now. That's a new leaven. I just saw research on that actually heals up the gut quite a bit. And of course that the new probiotic that's out, Amancia or acromansia macinophilia really does a great deal of healing the gut and reversing a lot of the issues with, um, Your insulin resistance and prediabetes. That's how it first got discovered, was in the famous Amsterdam studies on it. Uh, I I think Amancia people should give me a commission, and all the times I talk about their products, there's only one company with it right now. But there's a lot of other probiotics out there. I mean, like Lactobacilli rotorize, a very famous one, and that's from Biogaia. Mm And of course, for oral probiotics, we have the probiora pro ones too, with the three strep, the strep radii, strep oralis, strep uberus. But strep oralis and strep uberus are killed by a lot of the OTCs. Right. So the, the research you were talking about on this, which I think is really fascinating, is they've done a lot of research on antiseptic mouthwashes. And besides the fact they increase your blood pressure and all these other issues, is the fact that they will actually uh, only have a benefit for a very short period of time that the pathogens start to regrow. And after three weeks in many people, they're growing better than ever because you've actually killed off all their commensal competition and all the probiotics. Yes. yes. So that's why we highly recommend that people stay away from those. And orally, you cannot do better than like a lot of the xylitol gums. I mean, the famous uh, Solderling meta-analysis that came out last year she had several actually she published but 13 out of 14 studies uh, xylitol gum greatly decreased the amount of plaque and in five out of seven of the clinical trials for periodontal disease it was very beneficial you have to realize some of the studies were only for two weeks that's not a very long period of time and you really want to do a two-month or six-month studies, but there really aren't any people out there willing to finance that. Uh, the Malawi one was for the whole length of the pregnancy. That's why the results were really pretty dramatic on that. So I, I think that is really important. And nitrate itself in foods is a, is a prebiotic. So right. foods hide in nitrate. And, of course, you can actually one day... Probably get a nitrate prebiotic. You can just chew. Stay tuned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, tell tell us. You know, all of us are all of us hygienists that are sitting on the edge of, edge of our chair, hearing all of this. You know, the magic question is: What can we do? What's your recommendation for the best impact we can make on disruption of the of dysbiosis and then rebuilding that healthy flora? We're talking oral micro microbiome we're talking gut microbiome do you recommend addressing both what do you recommend testing with um i'll say i did i recently did a bristle test um and i was i was drawn to that because i liked that they are looking for everything present good bad and ugly so you can kind of see where you're at with your commensals but what do you recommend for testing so we kind of really know what somebody's looking like and we know what they're lacking
1: well, as you know, I was a very early adopter of um, oral salivary testing going way, way back to the old days of Tom Neighbors down in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tells that story all the time how I contacted him when he first started getting stuff done from Europe. He got the unit from Europe and he just started. He came up to my office and visited and gave like one of his first lectures to uh, my 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 office team we had a luncheon for (laughs) and I went down there and I tried to get the American Academy for Pediatric American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry to actually adopt it going way way back this is going a long time ago and they looked at me like I was insane I said I want to test one three five seven nine-year-olds so we can see what effect all of our treatment have and and they look at me like what are you talking about? What's this PCR? <laughs> and of course, now, you know, I'm still good friends with Tom Neighbors and I'm a friend with Rob McClellan, too, up in Minneapolis. So I, I've known these guys for a long time. Of course, I've utilized their testing for sure. Yes. Uh, Bristle, I've looked at Bristle. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff with Biome. And with Viome, we do the full metatransceptomics, and so we look at everything. Now, that's where that famous autism study of mine, where we looked at 30 kids with autism, 30 kids that were extremely healthy from the United States, and 30 kids from a blue zone in Colombia. Yes, I went down to Colombia, I flew into Medellin, with my friends from SACE University, went out and collected from 30 healthy kids in a blue zone. And, uh, we found a lot of stuff because we're doing the full met- transcriptomics So we're looking at all the fungus, we're looking at all the archaea, we're looking at all the bacteria, we're looking at all the viruses. And we had the functional numbers so we can see their expression and we can also see these uh, host response. Because in the saliva, we had all of the proteins the host was producing because in your saliva, everything that's in the serum is in your saliva too as Robert Filibert said about cardiodiagnostics. You get the white blood cells getting into the saliva and harvest them from the saliva and look for your 29 uh, cardiometabolic markers in those white blood cells. So it was pretty interesting because 60 days of a prebiotic xylitol with the mouth rinse, the lollipops, and the toothpaste changed over 600 strains
0: oh, wow. in the
1: mouth and had after 60 more days of a probiotic, had a neurological effect. Nine of the kids greatly improved. Now, when we first were coming out with the results, we had immediately uh, confirmation studies from other institutions that were doing the same things. There was a long-term open-label probiotic study done on kids with autism where their guts improved and their autism scores improved. Of course, since then, we've had all the studies published in Journal of Medical Microbiology, Scientific American, and everything The famous work done at Arizona State University with the James Adams Group, where they're doing the fecal transplant on kids with autism, reversing a lot of the autism. Yeah, everyone knows it now, published in Journal of Psychiatry, everyone knows that you can actually influence the microbiome and reverse a lot of these issues like autism, do a lot of reversal, a lot of improvements, And it's it's to me really sad that we can't get the picture transmitted out there to everybody, like to all the neurologists. I let them all know this, how important it is. But the key thing which you find in the autism research, the same thing we found is prebiotics and probiotics, both work the best. And that's actually published in a number of journals now. So use a good prebiotic. We use a lot of xylitol products. They can use xylitol and fluoride. That's one of the things that kills me is everyone says, oh, you're anti-fluoride. I go, no, use xylitol and fluoride, especially on the older kids. I mean, you know, once they're a certain age, you're not worried about swallowing the fluoride. They can do the xylitol and the fluoride. You could use the xylitol and fluoride toothpaste. We use in the office, the xylitol and fluoride toothpaste. It also has L-arginine in it which helps a lot with uh, making the plaque less acidic. And it actually helps with more nitric oxide production too. And it also has trimetaphosphate in it, which causes remineralization. I mean, for crying out loud, it has a xylitol-erythritol combo, which just really decreases all the pathogens. That's actually a combination that we developed at the Special Infectious Disease Lab at Children's Hospital at Northwestern University. So we have all these products available. <laughs> you have really good probiotics available out there, and they have hundreds of actually, like you know, BioGuy I can show you they have like about 120 clinical trials out there that are positive. So, um, absolutely, let's let's go ahead. Let's use the prebiotics or probiotics, test before and after. Which is what we were doing with our biome testing. And by the way, Biome has a test coming out. They're going to be announcing it at the AOS meeting in September in Orlando, Florida. A total health test where they do salivary sampling and they look at your total health from it. Nice. From your salivary sampling.
0: Yeah, that's
1: incredible. A very they do really I don't like the bristle test. I was looking at the, would you send me, can you send me your results? Sure. I'm looking at the ones that they're publishing and they say like, you got a lot of good bacteria, but it doesn't specifically, I couldn't see where he said what they were. Got it. Yeah. I want to see if they're looking at the Neisseria mucosa. They, you know, I want to see I, if they're looking at Strep salivarius. I want to see if, which ones they are looking at. I want to see if they're looking at uh, Pediococcus acidilactici. I mean, there's a lot of really good probiotics out there that aren't even on the market yet, so you can't buy them. I want to see if they're looking at Amancia, Because we did a whole genome deep sequencing of the nasal microbiome, found over 2,500 really interesting strains that we were looking at, including Amancia. is in the nose. So, hey, that thing seals more than just leaky gut and leaky gums. It may seal leaky nares, too. So all that is really very important for us. And uh, I'm really excited to be on your program, talking to everyone and discussing all this, because I know that you have had a lot of experience of things that you've worked on yourself.
0: Yes. Um, And I've become a big proponent. We do a lot of xylitol. We use the um, ProBiora Pro. And also I've um, started kind of playing around a little bit with uh, Stella Life is now using a probiotic as well. Yeah,
1: Stella. Um, Life has her probiotic yes, too. Yeah, I know very bad. much a lot about. I know a lot about that one. <laughs> well, Not and let me ask away. you then,
0: because I know you you are the expert on this. Um, my understanding is because we do the HR five pathogen testing, and my understanding is is if I'm seeing a patient that has, you know, kind of from the the TD TFFN. Those are more going to be more of my Life probiotics with those seven strains that they have to repopulate versus my AA, my PG, and my TD are better set up for the probiora just because of the, the strains that they carry.
1: Yeah, it could be. That's something actually we probably should study. I keep thinking of all the big clinical trials we should be doing and just hoping one day the NIH would go ahead and help us out and give us some money for the really big, important clinical trials. I mean, they talk about, like the Surgeon General talks about how important oral health is, how oral health sets up systemic health. And they talk about how we have all these wonderful, safe and effective measures to prevent disease. But from people who've read the whole document, all 300 plus pages, they say there's a word that's missing. The word sugar is not mentioned once. And yet we have, you know, you've seen the research on this. If you simply label added sugar on the front of something, it will cut down the amount of cardiovascular cases in the United States per year by 350,000. Adding added sugar to a label will cut down the number of diabetes cases by 600,000. Should we mention how much in decay and periodontal disease? (laughs) If you put a tax on sugar of one penny per ounce, okay, one penny per ounce, you would end up for sure reducing the number of cancer cases by over 5,000 and cancer deaths by over 3,500 a year. I mean, you can use that money to help support healthcare and maybe if I were in charge of things, I'd use that money to have good dental research that's unbiased, um, good long, big, large clinical trials, randomized clinical trials, where we could go ahead and do a lot of things that are important uh, for us in oral health care and systemic health care. Because as you know, um, also one of my big things, we've been doing a lot of cancer research. And my cancer research lab is actually a very well-known one, the Center for Developmental Therapeutics at Northwestern University. I'm a member of that. I'm a member of the Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Research Center. And we've shown that the prebiotic, xylitol, has been shown in many other studies, not just ours, but many previous to ours, uh, xylitol inhibits a lot of cancer cell lines it makes perfect sense because they showed a long time ago that cancer cells cannot utilize xylitol.
0: Right. Right.
1: But the rest of our cells can. And I know you've heard me talk about this before. It's evolutionary. We can go back to the anthropological record and back at the marine isotope stage six, which was about 195,000 years ago, massive climatic change changed all of the, Saharan and sub-Saharan Africa dried it up to be dry as a bone, a massive desert. Most of the rest of Africa dried up. Predators were attacking other predators. I mean, there just wasn't enough to go around. Uh, there wasn't enough to feed the herds. People, you know, Homo sapiens went down to just 10,000 breeding pairs. We almost disappeared as a species. We're so close to extinction, but some went to the caves on the ocean and survived. We had fire. We could live in the cave and keep the predators away. And we learned to swim very well. That's why babies have that dive reflex. (laughs) And we lost a lot of hair. That's where we lost a lot of our hair because that furry hair we had slowed us up swimming. So we lost a lot of hair. And we got our body shape changed to swim better. And we went into the ocean a lot. That's why we love this. Why do you think we love the beaches today? We go to the beach, we feel like we're at home. It's unbelievable. You take a vacation, where do you go? Yep. Beach in Mexico. Why do you think? Beach <laughs> is my
0: happy place, happy? that's for sure.
1: It is our happy place, isn't it? Well, when we're there, we eat a lot of seafood. We go in the ocean and get a lot of clams and crustaceans and eat them which gave us a lot of special proteins and peptides that cause our brain to develop better. Thank God we did that because that is actually brain food. They actually have studies showing that increase the in number of stem cell activity, changed the folding of the human brain, the cortex. But at the same time, we ate a lot of tubers that grew by, the, by those caves and still do today. Still do today at those caves. And those tubers were full of xylose and xylans. And that's why we developed all those bacteria to break it down. And we could break it down into xylitol, which is an energy for our mitochondria. And human mitochondria and rats and mice, our mitochondria can utilize xylitol. And of course, cancer cells, the mitochondria are ghost mitochondria. They don't function properly. And so the cancer cells can't use it. So it actually increases the death of them. They try to use it, but they can't, and they cannot produce any glutathione. It keeps them from producing glutathione. So your own T killer cells, remember xylitol enhances your innate defense system against everything. It prevents Bacteria from attaching and penetrating into your cells. It prevents it from getting into your macrophages. They can't hijack your immune system. In fact, theories are now that they get inside macrophages and travel to other parts of the body within that macrophage, wow. within the blood. And that's how it gets around, too. It hijacks those guys, but it also prevents a lot of viruses, like the common cold coronavirus, xylitol in the nose helps prevent that from spreading around so when people talk to you about like xylitol being an artificial sweetener they don't know what they're talking about there's six times more xylitol in a strawberry than vitamin (laughs) c it's it's blueberries in fact if you want to see a funny list if you look at the list of what is called the heart healthy things like oatmeal and cauliflower cauliflower oatmeal, blueberries are all super high in xylitol, <laughs> but don't give it to your dogs, because yes. dogs and cats are carnivores, yes. they're not omnivores, they didn't go into the caves with us, okay, rats went in the caves with us so early on, that to this day, from our nasal microbiome studies, we share a bacteria with a sub-Saharan Black African rat to this day.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Wow. Well,
1: That's why they make great research subjects, you know, because of that we share so much.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know that. And, you know, I've been a big proponent of xylitol, but I didn't know it did all of that. Like with the cancer connections. And, and that that's incredible. Well, and, and I wanted to ask you about this because I know obviously a lot of people are using probiotic supplements, you know, mm-hmm. to, to repopulate. Talk to us just a little bit about foods. What foods do you recommend for people who are looking to build that microbiome from a healthy aspect? Well,
1: that's where I'm a big proponent. I have been for decades of, uh, I used to call it kefir until the Russians corrected me multiple times and call it kefir. But kafir, (laughs) uh, kafir has been around for thousands of years, as you know, and and of course, Meshnikov had done all of his famous research with uh, kafir out of Bulgaria and Albania. And it's just a very healthy thing because it's a prebiotic and a probiotic at the same time. The milk product in it is uh, the classic galactoligosaccharide. And of course, you have in all these good vegetables like artichokes and asparagus and all that you, that. you have your fructooligosaccharides, And of course, you know, xylitol itself, which is present in a lot of the fruits that you eat. And so all those are actually prebiotics. I also do take some probiotic supplements. I like everyone else. I like to switch them off because the studies have shown that to really get a probiotic established, You got to do it for at least 60 days. And we have shown that in our research too. That's why we use 60 days in all of our studies. So a two-week study, a one-week study, there was one study that didn't show much benefit. It was a five-day study. Oh, my dear God. And the kids were already sick. They're already sick. You put them on probiotic for five days and check them later and say, it didn't work. Are you kidding me? Of course not. Right? (laughs) There's no way it could have worked. And you knew that when you set up the study. Let's Uh, be honest. When those people set that study up, they set it up to fail intentionally because they were trying to get the big news blast. Just like the study that was published out in Cleveland on erythritol. No one that said, "Yo, all know, erythritol, artificial sweetener is associated with cardiovascular events. And I want to just, that was so bad. First of all, erythritol is not artificial. It's not at all. I mean, it's, it, it's produced in the body and it's produced heavily in your body by the liver in the pentose phosphate shunt pathway, right? The pentose phosphate pathway, the PPP, to get rid of glucose. So when you're a diabetic and you have way too much glucose and your cells are insulin resistant and your blood glucose levels keep going up, the liver tries to get rid of it. And there's several mechanisms. one is to form glycogen, to form a fat, but if you can't form enough glycogen fast enough, the body turns it into erythritol, so you can urinate it out. Because you get no calories from the erythritol. It's a safety valve. And these people who publish it, are supposed to be bright people, got published in a good journal, uh, didn't realize that in these diabetics they were looking at, older diabetics, that all that erythritol they were seeing was a relief valve, it's like when you explain why does the body calcify calculus to encase it? Plaque is calcified to encase it. Calcification is how you protect yourself. Your coronary arteries calcify to stop the closure. <laughs>
0: stop
1: that soft active you know pathogenic plaque that's yeah that's to stop the, the yeah, soft active.
0: inflammation
1: yeah 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 and so you know I, when I would always uh, have a new hygienist come in she started talking about I gotta get rid of that calculus it causes disease I go well tactically the calculus is a result of disease <laughs> it's not causing the disease it's the result. you do want to get rid of it because the more you see the worse the disease you have and it's a great harbor. For more plaque to form underneath. So you have to remove it to make it cleansable, but it's not causing the disease, it's a result. And uh, we had a new associate who came in and she made the comment, well, he is a diabetic, so he's going to have worse periodontal disease. I'm going to like, well, actually it's the other way too. When you have periodontal disease, you're far more likely to be a diabetic and studies, actually, the peridoneal disease precedes the diabetes. Right. <laughs> well, so usually what precedes is a causative factor.
0: Right. But yeah. if you have
1: diabetes, you'll have worse So.
0: Right, right. Definitely bidirectional, definitely influencing each other. Yeah. And, and I want to speak to something because you're talking about kind of what we as hygienists, you know, see and experience. Um, one thing that I want to address here is. Um, in my own personal experience of patient care, um, I've seen you know many instances where because we get focused you know on killing the bad um, you know and shifting that microbiome, we have to understand that that's truly what this is—that it's a shift. And I say that because as a user of Salivary Diagnostics myself, and I do the pre and the post testing, you know, to make sure we're, we're doing the right thing and we're we're successful. I'm seeing shifts after treatment where we have decreased, say, levels of TD and TF, yet I've seen my FN jump up. And on paper, and honestly, as kind of you know, an A-type hygienist, dental professional who really wants to fix the problem on the first try, honestly, this can feel like a loss for us or that we didn't do the right thing. But what I'm really learning and what I want to share with you know my hygiene friends is that the shift means we're making an impact. It means that clearly what we're doing is, is making an impact. And we just, it's, it just means we're not done yet. We still need to keep working. Um, and I, I think that's just a really important concept because I, I have talked to some hygienists who've gotten scared away from salivary testing because they've done the, you know, the pre-test, they did their treatment, they did the post-test and they're like, you know, there's still stuff there. And now there's more of this other stuff. So would oh you speak God, to that yeah. a little bit?
1: you know we've all seen that yeah especially with fn because who's yes. a bacterium nucleatum that guy seems to be harder to get rid of and actually when you get rid of some of the other pathogens you may have made a little bit more room for it
0: yes yes
1: and it's the only thing is we don't know which mutation or what strain that right. is right yeah and that is the thing that in the future will be able, when you do, when you look at your PG, you'll be seeing if it's fim A type one or fim A type two or FIM-A type four, you'll be able in the near future to do that. But also I think we haven't hit the magic combination yet on FN because I keep hearing that repeatedly. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. I've gotten rid of the PG. I've gotten rid of the Tanarella. I got rid of the Treponema, yep. but I'm just not sure about why the FN hasn't gone down. But you know, and I know, we've seen the research, you can have a systemic effect present and not see a clinical effect. And part of that is because you have someone who has systemic disease already and you've treated them. right. It got rid of the obvious clinical side effects. The obvious clinical symptoms were gone. There's no bleeding on probing. Pocket death is greatly improved. Plaque levels are greatly improved. But those darn bacteria are still there because they're in the gingiva tissue.
0: Right. They're already in the
1: brain. They're already in the heart. And so we got to come up with some long-term solutions to this. But we're just starting. I right. mean, you know, we, we're just getting to the point that everyone's getting aware of the real problem. I was with a group of, and there was periodontists, and I was talking to, it's a big group, lecture hall. I mentioned IBP several times, and I hand one up saying, what's IBP? I go, intracellular bacterial pathogen. I'm sorry, I, I jumped right to saying that, but, you know, IBP, because... I thought the group I was with was very in tune to what we know about IBPs. But if there are some bugs like strep pyogenes, pyogenes, you can keep it your entire life and be a strep carrier and never get rid of it because the antibiotics won't touch it. It goes IBP and the antibiotics won't touch it. And sadly, the antibiotics can predispose to so many other things too.
0: Right. Now we've got to get
1: rid of strep mutans and I don't know, 70% adults have periodontal disease. but 98% of all populations had a restoration and strep mutans is an oncogenic bacteria. The last two years they've shown that strep mutans is a bad character with oral cancer, for God's sakes. So then oral cancer is still 50% fatal. Oh my God, we've got to get strep mutans down and done fast. Yeah. You're not doing it with an OTC. You're not going to do it with the act fluoride mouth rinse. You're not going to do it with Listerine. You're not going to do it with all those other products. You might decrease it for three weeks and then it's going to come back bigger and better and stronger than ever. You know, it's like Conan the Barbarian. That, that does <laughs> not destroy you. It makes you stronger.
0: <laughs> oh. Yeah, we still have a lot of work ahead of us, but, you know, I'm encouraged that we know what we know now. I do feel like next week we'll know something else. I mean, we are in such a quick growth phase. So, you know, I I think we just have to stay growth minded. We have to, you know, keep our eyes and ears open for what what research is showing us and just do the best we can with what we have.
1: I agree 100%. Well, we got a, (laughs) a good take there.
0: Yes. Well, I want to say that I am so appreciative of your time with us. Um, Honestly, your dedication uh, to our profession, your fascination with microbes, and the work that you've put in to make such a huge impact in the world of pediatrics and dentistry and just total health. And I I want you listeners to know I'm going to post, uh, I'll attach the link to Dr. Cannon's website here on the on the show notes, so that you can kind of check more out. He's got so much information. He's got so many lectures out there that are really worth your time and investment to understand this. Um, but you know, thank you for being a leader in this arena for us. We will keep our eyes and ears open to you. All of you listeners have heard me tout Aosh constantly. So you know, with him being the president this year, I can guarantee you that this meeting is going to be pretty fantastic. That's coming up, so you don't want to miss that. Look into that. Make sure you make that. And Dr. Cannon, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for spreading the message. We're here to to save lives every day. That's our motto. And we're here to unite medicine and dentistry and all healthcare providers. And it's very, very important that we get that done as soon as we can for the health of everyone, including my new grandbabies. That's right. That's
0: (laughs) right. And congratulations on that.